Linda's here. Yeah, hi Linda. Hello everybody. Hey. Hi. <laughs> so I just gave Heather a mic. Cool. And Senna will probably arrive soon. Okay, Heather's got her mic. So here we are. I've been wanting to do this for a mm -hmm. while. I all got you in the same space at the same time. Yeah, this is the first for me. Yep. Yes, Amy, losing your virginity in spaces today. <laughs> losing my virginity in space? That sounds mm -hmm. In space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was cool. Um, so slowly, slowly, mm -hmm. bringing my posse into the spaces, because this is a really great way to get the word out. And also, what I found is that it's a great way to get out of the echo chamber. So a lot of us working in the gender critical and you know radical feminist, you name it, all the spaces, women just wanting to you know be safe and keep their kids safe. And there's a lot of people out there like that who kind of know what's going on, but they don't really know what's going on. Well, we just really have to expand um, the awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what um, at COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, that's what we're, we're working on now because we found that trying to uh, convince politicians, Canadian politicians right now, is basically almost um, oh, futile in a way. I mean, we do, have to, mm -hmm. we do have to let them know what's going on, uh, but, you know, uh, I think mainly it's about public awareness. Mm -hmm. And if, we, if we're able to raise the awareness, I think... Once we influence public opinion, uh, the politicians will follow. Build it and they will come. So yeah. that's what we're I, doing. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I've noticed the same. You can't get very far these days by talking to politicians. They'll pay you lip service and then you'll leave. They won't do anything. Uh, my own member of parliament just blocked me on Twitter for the second what? time. How yeah. How do you do that? So they should be open to the public. Mm -hmm. What? I know. So he did this. He's the NDP um, MP for Burnaby New West in British Columbia. He he did this a couple years ago, I think it was now. Yeah. And um, Lisa Bildy sent him a letter mm -hmm. warning him that he should not be blocking constituents from his public account. And he unblocked me. And uh, he just did it again a couple weeks ago after... I was tweeting at him, trying to get him to respond to me, and I guess he had enough and did it again. So it's great. Wow. Not very much a representative of the people. No, absolutely not. Hmm. No. So let's let's go ahead and start. So welcome. For those of you who don't know, my name is Lisa Vespi. I was using a pseudonym Esme when Amy and I first started uh, doing our podcast. And that's a whole story all in itself. Uh our very first uh, episode last year, or the year before, I forget. Um, <laughs> I forget now, because um, we've been on hiatus with the uh, with the podcast, but we're going to start it up. <clears throat> That's part of what this is all about today. Hmm. Um, so we um, first episode was devoted to the topic of when you're doing this work, and many of you in the room will know that uh, if you speak out in favor of women's sex-based rights and, and protecting children from um, ridiculous gender identity ideology, you are putting yourself at risk if you are out um, with your real name. Now, the four of us here, um, uh, 
myself, Amy, Linda, and Heather, we're all using our real names, but we know that not everybody can do that for various reasons. And when you do it, you might get rape and death threats, you might lose your, uh, your livelihood. And when I first started, when we first started the podcast, I decided I was going to use my pseudonym, which is Esme V. So um, we did that. And um, the first episode was talking about how you're, you know, whether you should be in or out as gender critical. And um, and Megan Murphy was our first uh, was our first guest, and we talked about it, and and you know it was it was a great conversation, and um, so we went along like that for a couple of episodes, and then the fourth episode I think it was, and we had Barbara Kay on, and um, some rando dude from Australia who has a porn podcast. When you know we were we had our podcast on. Um, Anchor, which is uh, Spotify had bought that. So when you get put your podcast on Anchor, um, it goes um, to Spotify automatically and they, they distribute it that way. Um, and um, so uh, he put a complaint into Anchor, one single complaint, and they banned us for ostensibly transphobia. <laughs> So anyway, so they kicked us right off the platform. And so I had to scramble pretty quickly and find another platform. We're now living on rss.com. So we had to put all of our things over there. And when this happened, um, uh, Libby Emmons from the Post Millennial uh, wanted to do a story on the banning of our podcast. And so, of course, she wanted um, quotes from Amy and myself and... Uh, and she said, you know, Amy said, do you want to use your own uh, name or do you want to use your pseudonym? And I, and I was so angry. I was like, screw it. I'm, I'm just, I'm coming out. I'm outing myself and I'm using my name because I was so pissed off. Anyway, so that's, that's when I came out. So I, now I'm kind of, I kind of feel like, you know, like Posey Parker. She started out with a pseudonym, but then she uses her real name. And um, so that's kind of what I'm doing. I kind of flip back and forth. And the name is, you know right there in the name of our show. So gender critical story hour with Amy and Esme. So I'm, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> so that that's the preamble. And I'll just go ahead and introduce Amy, Linda and Heather. So Amy is my partner in crime in the podcast. She is a nurse. She is a journalist. She writes regularly for the post millennial. She's got a piece coming up in Quillette, which I'm excited about. Um, so stay tuned for that. And Linda is of course, needs no introduction <laughs> to women in this space, but I'll, I'll give it anyway. Dr. Dr. Linda Blade, Hi. Coach Blade, is a, sport, uh, is a sport performance professional with a PhD in kinesiology from Simon Fraser University. Um, she's a track and field coach and uh, the president of Athletics Alberta. And she is the leading spokeswoman for um, sex-based rights for women and 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 just fighting for for women and girls all over the world now and flying all over the place doing conferences um, speaking up every day mm -hmm. and um, and really doing doing an awesome job and taking taking some knocks mm -hmm. for that too so we'll get into that and of course Heather I think most people in the room know Heather Mason formerly incarcerated woman she's working for women still on the inside and is also so the uh, Heather, Linda, Amy, and I are all part of Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. We're on the steering committee. Some of us are also founding members. Yeah. So I just wanted to sort of like 
have a conversation amongst the four of us and then we can open it up to to a Q&A and just kind of have just like a it's kind of a informal conversation um, and we'll go with hands when we do that but uh, yeah and I do know that uh, that some people are, are apprehensive about um, speaking up during a recorded space and I totally understand that so I was thinking after we do this and this this recorded if this all works out and we like it we'll probably put this up as an episode on the podcast so keep that in mind and if you don't want to speak while it's being recorded that's totally cool. What we'll do is we'll just start up another room and we'll continue to the discussion without recording. So um, there we go. So um, Amy, over to you. What, what What's up? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that anymore. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm actually not working right now. I'm on a stress leave because of everything that's going on with the nursing college investigating me. And uh, as you mentioned, I have another Colette piece coming out. It's going to just give an update about everything that's been going on up until this time. So I don't want to say too much right now, but that should be today or tomorrow that it comes up. So I hope that people will read and share it. Um, yeah, that's about it for me. And the struggle is real. You had to get some headshots done for this uh, for this piece, and uh, as being the professional journalist that you are, so uh, <laughs> I think yeah. they came out really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was yeah. it was weird, but thank you. I oh, I see little hearts coming up. That's really nice. <laughs> yep. 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 That that that's people giving you love because we appreciate what you're doing. For those of you who don't know, Amy, uh, how how many? Okay, so let's let's go back a little bit. I can give a little rundown, I guess. Yeah, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Because I have noticed that sometimes, um, yeah, people aren't aware of what's been going on because I haven't talked about it a whole lot online in the last, I don't know, six months to a year. But uh, essentially, I work as a registered nurse. You have to get your license from NBC, from the BC College of Nurses and Midwives. And after two members of the public wrote complaints about me because they don't like my Twitter and they don't like the articles that I've written and some of the kind of activist work I've done in Vancouver, they told my college that I wouldn't be safe to work with trans or gender diverse patients. So I've been under investigation. <clears throat> this started almost a year and a half ago now. Um, they sent me 330 some odd pages of a report about me accusing me of being transphobic. Um, it's just been going on and on and on. And um, it's been very stressful. Like this is my second stress leave that I've gone on. Um, and yeah, I, it's nice because now I kind of have a tribe of new friends that are all people who've been canceled. And I'm so grateful for all of these people. Um, it's just, you know, some of the best friends that I've ever had. But I just have to say when you, it's no joke when you're a woman who stands up against gender identity ideology, there are activists that will come at you hard and try to destroy your life. So I completely understand why people choose to remain anonymous. Um, 
it's, it's not an easy path to take. And I'm really, I, that's why I'm also so in awe of uh, women like Heather and Linda. And I like, I like calling Lisa Liza and Liza. (laughs) It's just, I I take that too. I have three names, Lisa, Liza and Esme. Yeah. (laughs) I'm always going to say Liza. That's just what I like. Um, yeah, I just, I I love all of the women. I'm so grateful for all of the women in my life, even the ones who are still anonymous. Like, I know a lot of women who do things behind the scenes um, to support this cause. And, uh, yeah, so grateful for all of them and everyone who has listened to our podcast. So uh, where are you at in the process now of being investigated? Um, well, I don't, I don't want to say, I guess. Okay, I know you can't say too much, but. Yeah, like you, you're, like they 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 put they put it over right. Like you were supposed to go in March this month or something, and then they they extended it even further for some reason. Yeah, it's been going on and on and on. So there is a potential end in sight right now, depending on whether or not it goes through court, and then it could take years longer. Um, so I'm yeah, I really have no idea what's in store for me. Um, but there is kind of late May, early June is when the next step in the process is going to be happening. That's an amazing commitment to the cause, Amy. Like I'm, I'm in awe of you. <laughs> let me, let me tell you, jeez, oh, oh, man, can't, I can't even imagine. I've maintained my sanity for <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> yeah, I know you should be like locked away somewhere like the average person would be locked away somewhere by this point. I I can't even believe what they're trying to do to you. It's, it's just insane. Um, so yeah, go ahead. I, I hope everyone in here has seen this tweet that went pretty viral from, there was a physician, uh, tweeting about COVID kind of nonstop. And a few days ago, shared this tweet where a patient asked about her pronoun pin on her white coat and it said she her and then the patient laughed and said well what other pronouns could you possibly have um so this doctor made a tweet describing how this interaction happened and then said I was doing a blood draw and then I I missed the vein and and stuck him twice so what like on purpose uh well that's what that's how the tweet read and then a lot of people jumped on it because you know this is someone bragging about harming a patient because they poked fun at pronouns and it it this person caught a lot of flack they ended up deleting their account and the school that trained this person is now involved on twitter and it's uh yeah it turned into a huge mess for this woman as it should have because this is the type of thing where if you're a medical practitioner you're literally talking about harming patients because they have a different viewpoint on pronouns than you do (laughs) like this is someone who would actually be a harm to patients versus someone like myself who's been going through this process now for a year and a half being told that I could be dangerous to patients and I'm just this blows my mind I'm like there's not I would never harm a patient or anyone and yet a lot you have of you've been nursing for how long Amy for 10 years now right and so you and you've you've had like a lot of promotions and stuff you have a 
of a responsible position. And the one and and there's never been a black mark on your on your file ever before you've done your job admirably and you've even done like when you started out and I I didn't learn this until after I'd gotten to know you for some time like you were you were working with vulnerable populations on the street like with drug addicts and stuff like that like doing like the really hard nursing work like in East Vancouver tell us more about that yeah I used to do outreach nursing in the downtown east side of Vancouver so for people who aren't familiar um Partly because of Vancouver's weather, we sort of attract the population of um, homeless and drug addicted people like the opioid crisis in Canada is kind of the epicenter is in this large area in Vancouver. Um, So I this was when I was pregnant with my first son, I was working down there doing outreach nursing, you kind of just fill up a backpack with supplies and you're out there all day um, and going into the SRO hotels, which are really horrible places for anyone to live. But um, yeah, you know, it's like doing wound care, blood draws, any like whatever people need, kind of managing chronic health uh, issues and getting social work involved. A lot of a lot of the women were in domestic violence situations. And there are a lot of um, trans quote-unquote sex workers, um, i.e. prostitutes, who work down there too. And it's like, I, a lot of them were really funny, lovely people. Um, and yeah, it was very, it was not um, an easy job. It's not something that anyone would do unless they cared about these people. Absolutely. Yeah. And now because you openly state that you know the difference between a man and a woman, that makes you dangerous for some reason. After doing all this admirable work, I, it's Kafkaesque, really, when you think about it. Yeah. <sighs> God. Okay. Well, we're all pulling for you, Amy. And I think you know that. So I'm oh. hoping for the best outcome. So I want to also introduce Senna, who's come up as co-host. Senna is a regular in spaces and a great host and co-host. So thank you for filling that seat and helping us with this, um, uh, this space today. And um, I'm, hi. <laughs> and uh, let's, hi. let's bring, hi, Senna, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, living the dream. Right on, <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, so let's bring Linda into the discussion. Uh, we're going to, like I said, uh, we're going to to just like chit chat amongst the four of us uh, right now. And then we'll open it up to uh, open the mics up for questions. Because after all, it's everything you ever wanted to know about men in women's prisons and sports. And we're not afraid to ask. So, uh, so Linda, there's big news from yesterday. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what's going on in the world of women's sports? Sure thing. Well, <clears throat> we had just barely gotten over the Leah Thomas situation and the NC2A in the U.S. and swimming. And then <clears throat> all of a sudden it came to light that a 21-year-old male cyclist by the name of Emily Bridges, used to be Zach, um, was going to now compete suddenly in the Women's British uh, National Championship this coming Saturday, so in two days. And so this became a big, big item because the, the Bridges was already, he's still registered as a male on the on the both the British Cycling and, and uh, apparently and the um, International Cycling 
rosters still as a male, even though Bridges started transitioning around 2020 in terms of like taking or lowering, supposedly lowering T levels. Um, anyway, still a male. And as a junior in 2018, had set a men's record over the 25 miles uh, course. That was two seconds, two minutes, sorry, faster than the female senior record holder in the UK. And so this weekend was supposed to be now an, a showdown between Bridges and and elite women in the in British cycling. One of whom is the like five time Olympic champion Dame Laura Kenny. And so you know people were outraged because this was not. I mean, this was so clearly uh, uh, just an existing male registered cyclist was going to compete and British cycling was okay with it. They were already prepared to allow that to happen. Um, and there was this massive, massive outcry. I mean, UK being turf Island and everything this, you can imagine. I mean, it was just, it was fascinating reading all of the tweets and, um, suddenly, uh, yesterday they suddenly came out with the news that, Emily slash Zach was no longer going to be competing this weekend uh, because of the UCI rules, because, of course, a person that is is still registered as a male cannot compete with the women. But that, you know, the international rules still probably would have allowed it to happen if if Bridges had been, you know, um, registered as female, which is ridiculous. And the British cycling um, rule policy is that you a male athlete or any man only needs to reduce the testosterone below five nanomoles per liter for one year for a 12 month period before um, they can compete. He can compete with the women. So really um, it's bogus, ridiculous. And all the studies to date by Emma Hilton and, and other reviews, uh, Tommy Lundberg and, and of course, um, we have Ross Tucker, all these people, John Pike, all these people have been showing and establishing the facts that there is just no amount of T suppression, testosterone suppression that will erase the advantage that men have over women in sports. I mean, it's just very clear. Um, all the studies show it. And um, so, yeah, so <laughs> now it turns out <clears throat> that the part of the rationale, it looks like some of the incentive for removing uh, bridges from the race this weekend was that it was found out that a number of the female cyclists were going to boycott the race. So it was almost like, uh-oh, we're going to have a big demonstration by the women cyclists, so let's find an excuse to get get the bridges out of there for this race. And so then they... So British Cycling used the UCI, International Association, rules as sort of a cover, I think. I, that's what it looks like. So this is a real turning point, too, because one of the uh, um, arguments that people like to like to bring up, you know, when... Uh, when males are competing with women and, and, and we know that this is so unfair and it's, it's a absolutely surreal. Mm -hmm. And they like to say, well, the women should just boycott. The women mm -hmm. should just boycott. They should sit down or they should walk away or they shouldn't show up. And, but that's, 
that's been um, that's been kind of a problem in mm -hmm. the past. Is it hasn't it, Linda? Yes, like, it has for various has. reasons. But but I'll tell you, um, I think, and we had this. I had this discussion actually with my family on a text a text conversation yesterday. Uh, why can't the NC two A you know women do the boycotting just like this? And this would be so helpful, and it is encouraging to people like me or anybody who cares about um, preserving female, you know, women's sport for female athletes. Um, there, there is a subtle difference. I think like if you're like a top national cyclist in the UK and, and you've got a lot of support from all the people around you. And let me also add that suddenly a lot of top performance athletes are coming out saying something in favor and support of fair, fair sport for women, which was just that whole thing that blew up yesterday and the number of athletes and Mara, if you go to Mara Yamaguchi's um, text uh, or sorry, Twitter feed, she was starting to list all the athletes who were coming out into the open yesterday, the existing top athletes being willing now to say this is ridiculous and we need to protect women's sports. So I actually had a little glass of wine yesterday. I was just so happy that finally athletes were starting to speak up. And it, it was just so encouraging. And it's everything I thought it would be. As soon as one or two have the courage to speak, everybody does. But it's interesting that in the UK, I think in places where, like I've noticed this in track and field in Europe and, and in places where there's a high density of top athletes in a smaller geographical space, it just seems like people can support each other, uh, each other a little better. In Canada, we're so separate. In the US, like if you're in the NCAA, you're in one university as a swimmer and you're competing against, let's say you're in University of Pennsylvania, and then there's another female swimmer way out at Stanford University. They're never going to be in the same space. And they don't even know each other until they get to nationals and maybe not even then, like if you, if you don't make nationals. So it's, it, it, and, and plus at the university level, they can, and the NCAA did do this. They literally um, threatened and the Penn State, the University of Pennsylvania women were told if they if they speak up at all, they're off the team. They might even get kicked out of school or they wouldn't get a good job recommendation. I mean, it's wow. it, 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 you know, so there were a little difference, a little difference in how uh, the risk for for some of these girls. But I was so pleased that there was solidarity amongst the British, the the British women, the senior cyclists. And they would have had many opportunities years to come, I hope, unless suddenly they got canceled. But they stood their ground and I think British cycling blinked and it, it it's just glorious to see this happen because you know the intimidation has gone on for like really since 2015 since the International Olympic Committee instantiated the rule about you know men could be in women's sports as long as they just put their testosterone down a little bit um, we've been struggling to get a voice and and have top athletes have the courage so I think I don't know. I just feel like yesterday we crossed some sort of Rubicon. I feel like mm -hmm. the thing suddenly changed. I really do. And it was just so amazing to me to watch it happening in real time between my coaching sessions. I, I go back to Twitter. I go away and coach for a while and I'd come back and there's another athlete saying something. It was just glorious. I think to me, the, when you hear people saying, why don't the athletes just stand up and boycott they could end it in a moment that has always <laughs> bothered me in the same way as after any, you know, after Leah Thomas, a lot of pro like public figures who are males would go, well, where have the feminists been on this issue? And it's oh, the same, so annoying. Yeah. Dismissive, mm -hmm. uh, just condescending way of 
trying to suggest that we did this to ourselves. Um, and without can, with the sports, it's like if women were doing that in other sports, these are athletes who have trained for years. They've worked so hard. And all it would do is mean that they would lose their shot at mm-hmm. some when you when you kind of have like a window where you're at your peak performance. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, I was really blown away to see this finally happened too. And I'm curious if you think, I mean, you kind of mentioned it depends on the area that you're in, but do you mm-hmm. think start seeing this boycotting happen more and more? Yeah. It's, and it's crossing the sports boundary too, because this was about women's cycling in the UK, but a lot of the top athletes to my delight were people from the track and field world, like the middle distance runners and such. And, I think they have been emboldened by the fact that Lord Sebastian Coe, Sir Coe, has, who's the president of World Athletics, has admitted, you know, after the Leah Thomas affair, that women's sport is, is very in a very fragile situation right now. We're very much uh, teetering on the edge of collapse if this doesn't get done right. If a policy isn't crafted correctly, um, we could do a long-term damage to, because think about it. I mean, even if you'd let, you know, males flood into women's sports for even a year or two, or even five years, I mean, it might take 10 or 15 years to actually have, even if you blocked it suddenly, it would take that long to, you know, give women and girls the courage to think that they would have their own space in sport. And it, it really could do long-term damage. So I, I was encouraged as a track and field coach and, of course, as president of Athletics Alberta that the top um, honcho in track and field and global track and field was willing to say, you know, this is a very vulnerable time and we need to get these policies right. And it's it's not easy because I'm in the in meeting rooms. I see how fearful everybody can be. It's, it's a very, you know, this whole ideology that you can somehow identify as whatever else um, it's, it's taken a hold of institutions and government bureaucracies. And Mm -hmm. it really is quite scary for people who want to have a private opinion, but they don't want to have to say anything publicly. And that makes it, if you think it's hard out sort of in the social media world, you know, and that somehow every all clarity is given inside the meeting rooms of sport governance. That is just not true. I mean, my experience inside the meeting rooms is, whew, I mean, it, the tension is, is, is palpable. And, and really, there's usually only one or two people, like in my case, me saying something. Right. And everybody yep. then says, Oh, well, I agree with kind of what she's saying, but I don't like the way she's doing it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. Like yeah. you just, it's hard to break through. Yeah. I'm, I'm also dying to hear your take on this. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Matthew Iglesias. He's oh. a writer and editor. He has more than like 528,000 followers on Twitter. And uh-huh. he read about trans activism including this one tweet saying that he thinks that progressives should be making a tactical retreat on the sports issue. Um, yeah. what, what's your take on that? <laughs> well, that tactical retreat also happened, of course, with British cycling, you know, this last weekend. And 
I really think, and, and I've heard other trans activists say this in the past, is that maybe sport was a bridge too far. Sport might be the thing that really, really ends up backfiring on everybody because it's so obvious and mm-hmm. people want to see uh, the, the youth of our nations succeed and thrive. And everybody knows that there's two biological sexes, male and female, and they each deserve a chance to shine according to their own body design, right? Like the two bodies are designed differently. Even yeah. if there was no advantage, they're completely different designs. Just like different, I always say, different sports cars, you know, Formula One is one design, NASCAR is another design. You don't mix those two vehicles because they're different designs. So mm-hmm. there's no meaning, even if there was no advantage, there's no meaning to a sport competition if you like throw in a Formula One car into a NASCAR race. Well, what, what does that mean? Like yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything. So yeah. you're taking away the meaning and then of course, humanly, you're being unfair to women and girls. Uh, and, and so I agree with you. I think, I mean, it's just stunning that somebody with that many followers and that woke would suddenly say, well, maybe we need to do a tactical retreat. Uh, like for what? Like clearly <laughs> it's either right or wrong. You know, yeah. it's like, why are they trying that? That kind of language is essentially saying, well, we want to keep pushing this ideology or our agenda but we'll just step back for a little while. Well, you know, really? Like, yeah, I think, <laughs> I don't know. That, you know, you, you still want children to get trans. You're fine mm-hmm. with self-ID being yeah. taken advantage of by yeah. rapists and pedophiles. Mm-hmm. All of that, you just, you want to make this tactical retreat so that people aren't noticing these other things. I yeah. think those to fly under the radar. You yeah. don't care about how women are harmed. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you have to retreat from sports because it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's or the jig is up because people mm-hmm. are starting to notice all the other horrible things we're doing. That's- right. It's really yeah. sh- shone a light on on the whole issue, and this mm-hmm. is why it's really important. About, I mean, we've really focused um, on the sports and prisons for very good reason because. You know, I and I think that we have actually. So we we started. You know, Cosbar became our brainchild like almost three years ago, and it was a very different environment back then. Um, you can't like you know, Megan Murphy had just gotten kicked off for saying that's kicked off Twitter for saying that's him in in regards to Yaniv, um, mm-hmm. who many of you may know is the uh, wax my balls dude. And she, um, <laughs> I, I guess some people might not know, but anyway, um, very quickly, that was the, he was the inciting incident um, for the, um, for Cosbar being formed because he was terrorizing women by calling them up. And he, he was, you know, um, formerly Jonathan Yaniv, then Jessica Yaniv, now known as Jessica Simpson, clearly had uh, was doing pedophile crap online with young girls and stuff like that. And then he, he's a grifter, so he was calling around to um, uh, aestheticians who work out of their home homes, mainly immigrant women, asking for them to um, give him a Brazilian wax and then, and then he'd go, they go, okay, when do you want to come in? And then he'd say, well, I, I think you should know that I'm a trans woman. And then they would say, well, I only do women. And then he threatened to take them to a human rights tribunal. Oh, nice. And he, and he was, um, he was also, um, 
um, um, extorting them as well, saying, "Well, if you gave me if you give me five thousand, I won't take you to the tribunal." So anyway, that was that was the thing, and um, and and so it was discussed on Twitter. And Megan, you know, somebody asked, like, "Is it the, is it this person?" And she says, "Yes, that's him." She got kicked off of Twitter just just for that one tweet. Okay, well, they knew they had been following her. They knew she was a um, uh, a gender critical. Uh, uh, feminist. But now if you look at like what's going on, the activity on Twitter and people are doing the quote unquote misgendering all over the place and not, not getting, you know, getting kicked off, but this, women are still getting banished, but, but it, it is, it is a very, I mean, it's just, so shining the light on sports and prisons this is because back even three years ago, the, the trans activists were saying, and even two years ago, probably, you, that you actually change sex, that you can actually change sex. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? They were still saying that. And mm. now um, they've, they've backpedaled, like, talk about, mm. you know, tactical retreat. Um, mm. th then they went, well, we've never, we've never said that. It's like, mm. well, yeah, you have. And, mm -hmm. and, then, and then there was, like, with Mermaids, which, for those of you who don't know, it's a premier um, organization in the UK that uh, promotes transgenderism for children and youth um, and they were really big on the born in the wrong body narrative um, until they got a slap down for that because you know it's mm -hmm. basically uh, um, child abuse to tell a kid that their body is wrong like mm -hmm. and, th and they could see that they were wrong once they got called out and they and then they backpedaled on that and said we never said that and it's like yeah mm. you have yeah. I mean they're, they're, the proof is all over the place so the point is is to really draw attention to the actual the sex of these people involved and mm. and and what better way in like sports and not only like we have all these academics doing this, doing all these studies and everything, and mm -hmm. and 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 doing the metrics and everything. But there's just one super easy data uh, point that that can be can be looked at, and that's a hundred years of the Olympics. So look mm -hmm. at all the look at all the bests in the Olympics, and you see there's a clear, you know, there's a clear like people know this because we know it because it's reality. But if you had to look to data, you could just look to the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and so, yeah. And can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. The, when Leah first came out, uh, as far as like first swam at the Zippy in Invitational in Ohio in end of November, 2021, which was the first time everybody had started hearing about this. Um, Leah Thomas beat p women in the, in the longest race by, you know, almost 40 seconds, 38 seconds, which, I mean, you could almost go to the concession stand and back before the women ended up finishing the race after he won. So basically you, you could basically, it was so, so long, but they, the win was, was so devastating and, and outrageous that it really piqued a lot of people. And you could see that that must've been very damaging and scary for the tactical retreat people, for the people who, for the trans movement, because it was so obviously unfair. And, um, shortly after that, in the ensuing competition, suddenly uh, Leah Thomas's times just weren't as great. They weren't. And then uh, it looked like he wasn't even trying, just not even using his feet to kick. You know, like I'm just saying, 
sandbagging the races for a while to make it sort of say, well, you know what? They, you know, he finished within the women's range and the following races, everything's fine. So there was clearly a strategy there. It was too much too soon. And that was very threatening to the community, to the activists. And, and right. when I was at, when I went to Atlanta and I was sitting in the stands next to Kelly J. Keene, all that stuff was going down. <laughs> it was something sitting next to that woman. But anyway, um, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there was, um, Skylar Baylor was sitting in front of us. That was the first one where Posey Parker, where Kelly J. Keene said, I'm not a vet, but I know what a dog is. Mm. Um, and Skylar Baylor later after Kelly J. left her chair, I, I continued a, a, a less, whatever, <laughs> quite less heated conversation, but I did want to ask, is somebody consulting or being the counselor for Leah Thomas as far as navigating how they were, how their race strategy would be as far as like the trans issue and that stuff. And Skylar Baylor pretty much pointed to themselves and said, I am. So I know they've Who's had. Who's that? Who's Skylar Baylor? Um, it's a, the, this person goes by Pink Manta Ray. Uh, it was a few years ago that this was a female born swimmer out of harvard university who transitioned to male to man uh, identifying as a man you can't transition to male but but transitioned to identifying as a man and had mastectomy and everything and was swimming in the men's section which you know i always admire a little bit if a woman decides to transition and go into the men's races i mean it's no advantage at all wasn't winning anything yeah but now that person has become the prior preeminent sport advocate for trans and sport and the and I actually took the card because Skylar Baylor goes around and does all the lectures to for inclusion in sports mm. in the US so is obviously getting paid to just be the diversity equity inclusion uh, trans activist person across US and different programs so there is a, there is consultation there is strategy going on and I met the person who does it. Well, that's such a huge grift right now, the diversity, equity, inclusion, consult, yeah. creating these programs. It, yeah, it's, it's um, the, yeah. <laughs> I want to segue into the prison since we're... Yeah, please. I've got to go soon. Oh, sure. I also, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Heather, but I kind of wonder how... It makes you feel when obviously it's great that all of this awareness about sports is happening and we're seeing changes, mm -hmm. but it almost feels like people care less about women in prison. They don't care about these most vulnerable women because I, to me, it's like, why does sports have to be the issue? Why don't people get it when they see women in prison housed with rapists? It, it's just as horrible I mean, it, well, it's more horrible even, but it's less obvious, I guess. Do you feel that? Um, so sometimes, but I like try not to focus on it because I'm used to it, right? Like nobody cared about women in prison. Um, they didn't care about drug addicts. They're not people that and most people in society will even give a second thought to. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, and even with my advocacy on this issue 
I've had a lot of women who have messaged me and said, thank you for bringing women in prison to my attention. Like I never thought of them. Like I want to be there for them. How can I support them? Like I, I want to do things for them even when this whole ideology is gone, which is great because I was able to find a lot more women to care about us and maybe we can make changes in the prison. But the thing I resent the most is like happening to deal with this whole gender identity um, ideology in the prison because there's so many other issues that I would rather be working on like strip searching and segregation and um, conditions and confinement. There are so many other issues that are important and even getting most of these women out of prison because like the, there's no public risk there. Like there's women that are in there that are should not be in there at all. And we're paying so much money. Like if people realize how much they're paying each year in taxes to incarcerate someone like me, I think that they would think about it a little bit differently because like you've spent almost half a million dollars incarcerating me. Like that is crazy. We could have used that to help like Amy, you were talking about the drug overdoses. Like it's rampant. I've lost like approximately 30 people in the last two years to like endocarditis, drug overdose, um, things that, are around drugs, like suicide from being too addicted and not being able to get out. So there's a lot of issues that are going on and this trans shit takes a lot of my focus. So I resent it. Yeah, no doubt. And you're a women's prison abolitionist as well, which I think would be ultimately maybe what you would be focusing on if we didn't have to deal with this garbage in the meantime. Exactly. I, I'm interested. You you once um, talked in an interview. I heard you, Heather, about um, the path to criminality for women is very different than for men, and um, I think that really informs your opinion about um, abolitionism for for women in prison. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So, in women's prisons, about eighty percent of the population are in there for navigating poverty and abuse. Um, They're not, most people have this image that everyone in prison is just like monsters and murderers and like that, that can't be any farther from the truth. A lot of us were like into prostitution, drug addiction, um, like um, alcohol addiction as well. And uh, just being in abusive situations. And then I have a lot of guy friends, like tons, like both my, I have a son and a daughter, both their fathers have been in out of jail and prison. So I have a ton of experience with the, the women's side and the men's side and just how different they are and how they're incarcerated different. Like I'm not worrying about getting shanked. Like my buddies and my exes that are in, they're worrying about getting shanked, right? Cause you're getting stabbed up in the men's prison way more than you are in the women's prison, like you're lucky to even see that in all the time that you do. But so even their behaviors on the inside and the privileges that they're given and the way that they're treated different is because of their past to criminality, where a lot more men have more violent crimes, um, a lot more sexual offending, like women's population, only 2% of the female federal population are sex offenders. Well, we only have 693 to 700 women. So we're talking about like you know, 15 women that are in for sex charges. When we look at men, that's 20% of their population. We're talking over 2,500 of them. So there's a big difference. And even in the way that they commit those crimes, there's a different pathway and a different way on how they commit those crimes. So when we're looking at criminality, it can't be any more obvious to people the differences in males and females. And most of the women are in possibly for drug charges. Is that correct? 
nonviolent? Yeah, a lot of them are like me. So, for instance, I didn't even go to prison for dr my drugs. Like, they weren't my drugs. So, I um, got raided, and I heard the police coming in because I had a baby monitor hooked up so I could hear the door. And I hooped all my drugs. And I went to jail with my drugs inside me, and I got high in jail. So, the drugs that I actually went to prison for were the guys who was in my house. He emptied his pockets and were like, they're not mine, they're hers. And me being, oh, i got to be solid... I wasn't going to get on stand and rat against him. So I took a plea deal. He walked on all charges, but karma's a bitch because he got picked up a year later on accessory to murder after the fact. That's terrifying. Um, I, there was this woman who I knew and just kind of a, another example to me of how women are disregarded in our culture in Canada and a lot of other places. So this was a woman who also had... A horrific history of abuse. She had addictions issues from the time that she was a preteen. Um, when she she got to a point where, in order to support her daily drug habit, she needed money, and she was faced with prostituting herself or selling drugs. And she didn't want to prostitute herself, so she started selling drugs. And she ended up going to prison, I think, ultimately for over a decade. Um, and it's crazy because it's like if she had prostituted herself, she wouldn't have gone to jail. So I, that just that just blows my mind. It's like we would rather see a woman like that um, have her, get repeatedly raped and abused by men and continue living this lifestyle. But if she decides, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm just going to sell drugs, then off to jail you go. Well, the sad thing is, even if she chose prostitution, she probably would have still ended up in jail. Because I chose prostitution, and I also chose to be a drug dealer. Because it just wasn't cutting it, and it was disgusting, and I don't understand how people call it work. Because it was not work, and I regret it, and I have a lot of guilt on that. And all the women that I know in my life that did it only did it because they're screwed up on drugs and they never ever would have done it, but they needed the money to get high. Um, and a lot of us end up in jail for petty stuff like simple possession or um, robbing Johns because we really don't want to touch them. We just want the money to get high. So we do end up in jail um, because of uh, poverty and addiction issues. Right. And also abuse. Like, do you know how many men I see that find, uh, they target younger girls and get them addicted to drugs and they take all their money from prostituting and they keep them supplied with the drugs. And then when the police come and raid you, they toss the dope and it's the girl's dope. Right. And the girl goes to prison. I see that a lot. That's horrific. It's horrific. Also, it's like, it breaks my heart hearing you say that you have guilt over having done this. It just, yeah, I know you can't change the way you feel, but I, hate that you have that feeling yeah and, it was something and through. <laughs> yeah I yeah I'm sure it is something like really considerable to work through and it's really insulting this whole and it's the same the trans rights activists are very big on this they're, they, they you know they their mantra is trans women are women and sex work is work right and it's all part of the same sort of sickness uh, the same ideological sickness uh, if you talk to, I mean, you can probably speak to this, Heather, um, women who are 
um, in prostitution. Most of them are trying to escape it. Nobody's doing it. The the um, there's this fantasy that seems very nice and pat and everything that oh well you know it's very empowering for women and that they um look at look at her she's working her way through med school look at that like that's an easy job what you know look at her she's making lots of money i mean that's a very comforting thought for people um to be okay with this kind of stuff but i know that like with um, Andrea Hines and there's a bunch of other women who are speaking out on behalf of women who have escaped it. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that, Heather. Um, yeah, I know I follow her on Twitter um, and I, I like how she comes out and advocates against it now because, you know, everything is just like the movies and TV shows. That's why I get um, asked all the time if prisons like Orange is the New Black, right? Because people don't know um, the difference between what's on TV and reality. Um, so when you get people that are able to paint pictures of how nice and wonderful these things are, then they don't look at the actual repercussions because of these things. And the driving force to this is drug addiction because drugs are so expensive, right? And here's the difference with the criminality piece. Again, men are more likely to go rob a bank, do armed robbery, break into your house, assault you, et cetera. Whereas women are more likely to sell their bodies to make money to get the drugs. Um, and I see that with my friends all the time. Like, and I see that with my daughter's father as well. Like, I, I can't even tell you how many armed robbery and break and enters and assaults and deadly weapons and all that he has. It's just on and on and on and on. And like, I don't know, like he's either going to die or get it, you know, like, um, and even with like my last and my, my son's father, he just couldn't get it. Um, just crime and drugs. And it, that's the piece that people don't want to see. And we're not dealing with the root cause of the trauma and we're never going to be able to deal with the addiction and incarcerating people is not going to help. Um, and just even having all of these males that are transferring into the women's prisons um, because the women aren't getting mental health help, they're not getting addiction counseling they're not getting trauma counseling it was very limited to begin with let alone with COVID and their restrictions because they're all on cohorts and they're locked down there's no volunteers and programming running so this is adding in these toxic dysfunctional like relationships that are going on in there because they are people forget that there are there are cliques that form around some of these men, right? Because there are some women inside that haven't dealt with their shit and they're still, you know, street life. And they are with these men. And then these cliques form because the, the girl has friends. So then it gives him the power and control to be able to do whatever he wants on compound. So then when he does sexually assault another woman, she's too scared to speak up because now she's going to have to fight these girls and you don't want to be a rat. So I'm seeing like a big increase with drug use in the prisons as well, um, which is not as surprising because they don't have any programs. And then we also have these men that are in there. And like I said, different criminality. Like it's, it's so obvious when you've been in prison, women barely ever get any tobacco or contraband. Like we get like nothing. The men are always getting cell phones and contraband. They get fucking everything. But I'm noticing a lot of like the men prison and jail stuff happening in the women's prisons now. 
So tell us a little bit, just recap the current situation in Canada, um, how, you know, how prevalent this is, what the process is for a male, uh, incarcerated male to uh, be transferred into a women's prison. Just give us the overview on that. So uh, males who have had surgery have been incarcerated with women since at least 1982. Um, they had to be living one year out of prison to be able to be entitled to have surgeries. And then corrections changed the policy. You could be in prison for one year and then you qualified for the surgery. Well, that wasn't good enough. And at a town hall meeting with Justin Trudeau, someone stood up and was like, what about gender identity and trans women? And Justin Trudeau was like, oh, never thought about that before. Let's do something about it. And then the policy became transfers are based on gender identity or expression unless there's an overriding health or safety concern. And so what year was that? This is 2017. Okay. Yeah. So they built in an exemption clause, but uh, advocates like Morgan Auger, Leaf, the Canadian Bar Association, they want the transfers to happen without exemption. So they don't think that corrections should be able to prevent transfers into the woman's prison. And they don't want them to record statistics based on sex, which means that our stats are going to be useless because we can't even determine if trans women are disproportionately impacted by being incarcerated if we can't even track them. I just think that is pure evil. Honestly, I don't I rarely use that word, but I honestly think that's evil to uh, to lobby the government to not even make a safety assessment to allow anyone to self-ID as a male and to be transferred into women's prison. It's completely insane and evil. I just it, it's not surprising that someone like Morgan Auger would do that, but uh, you know, I I didn't even think an organization like LEAF would go that far. And I'm just completely sickened by these people. Yeah. Morgan Auger, for anybody who's not familiar, is one of the leading trans rights activists and has uh, uh, start, had started a foundation, an eponymous foundation, so you can tell how narcissistic this person is. Like, who... Who starts an organization <laughs> named after themselves, right? Like that tells you something about the person right then and there who's not even like you have like the Clinton Foundation, the Trudeau Foundation, whatever. And then he, so <laughs> he gets his own foundation, right? It's just like, who are you? The guy is just like, apparently he's like a, um, he works as a, uh, like a, a techie at like a Staples or something like that. And suddenly he's like the, <laughs> the best buy. He's like the leading proponent in Canada of trans rights to the point of having foundation i mean it's it's kind of ridiculous um yeah and first, and first women in canada to lose federal provincial municipal <laughs> yeah keeps <laughs> keeps running for office and thankfully yeah. losing because i guess people aren't as crazy as we think they are uh yeah and um and has the ear of politicians so there's a fair so so when he launched he, he's, he had this um um and i'm we're using in our <laughs> In our circles, in our gender critical circles, we use correct pronouns. So this is, I'm, I'm speaking about um, a trans identified male right now, Morgan Auger. And um, um, so he has a big cocktail to, uh, you know, launch it. And, and who shows up? 
Michelle Rempel Garner. Okay. And it shows up for the, for the photo ops. So, um, you know, anybody who thinks that somehow we have different parties in Canada with different stances, you know, left, center, right. No. They've all been captured. Doesn't matter. The three major parties have been party. Say what? Sorry, except for the People's Party, but you're just talking Except about- for, yes, yes. I'm talking the three majors. Um, the People's Party is the only party, Maxime Bernier is the only one who will stand up and say that, you know, um, a, a woman is an adult human female, a man is an adult human male. Um, there's not a single uh, elected official in Canadian federal government who will stand up in the House and, and make that proclamation that they know the difference between a man and a woman. They will not. They're, they're all cowards. No, right? and the, the conservatives and the liberals crossed the floor of the House and hugged one another after passing legislation that makes it illegal for healthcare providers to challenge the stated gender of a patient of any age. So if, if my three-year-old went in and said, I'm a girl, um, and a doctor or a nurse said, oh, are you sure? Why do you feel that way? This new legislation passed in Canada means that the healthcare provider could face prison time for doing that. Um, and this yeah. is something, it's like this: the conservatives and the liberals unanimously passed this and hugged one another over it. That's never happened before. As far as I, as far as I know that, that, you know, the, they, they got up, they rose, they met each other in the middle and they, and they hugged. And this was all for gender identity ideology. And for, for anybody to say that there's some kind of downtrodden, oppressed group um, is it's, that's a, that's pure insanity. These people have so much power right now and it's all, you know, it's just, it's just the woke ideology has overtaken and, um, and it's all fear-based. It's all yeah. due to not wanting to appear to be transphobic or, you know, because they got slammed on on homophobia, the, especially the conservatives, for um, speaking out against marriage equality. And they are just like, and then now, of course, you know, we've had it and it, everything's worked out fine since 20 since 2005 or something. So everybody accepts it, and it's and you know, there's no no big deal. So now they've got egg on their face from, you know, and of course, progressives will always go back into the tweets and will always and to find them. So they're like, we're not making that mistake, mistake again. We're doing whatever the trans people want. We're just mm-hmm. going to do it. And that and that's basically where we're at. Yeah, we know because we're kind of behind the scenes. We know how many, not the total amount, but we know that a very good number of women and men were, were writing their MPs and their senators pleading with them to look at the evidence and not pass this bill. And it, it was ignored. Yeah. This is the conserv- uh, the conversion therapy bill. And yeah. that eventually it went through several different iterations through, through parliament when parliament was devol- dis- dissolved and then came back again. I think it, the final name of it was bill C4 and it was basically a Trojan horse to bring gender identity under conversion therapy law, and um, yeah. and they passed it, and they passed it, and they and and they rejoiced. <laughs> and it <laughs> Much- kind of brings us back around to what you were saying at the beginning, Liza, about how this is why we feel it's so important 
in this movement at this point to just be having conversations with regular people. The politicians, they don't give a shit. It's kind of falling on deaf ears. And, you know, every one of us who's listening here, just going and speaking to anyone who then might go and speak to someone else, like, this is really important work for us right now very very important it's like we say we're going to win this one conversation at a time so you have to kind of learn how to read the room you have to learn how to meet people where they're at and there's going to be very different ways that you get into the conversation with people but whether it be somebody who has girls in sport and and you can get into it that way could be women who love working out at the gym and you can say you know you realize that you could go in one day to your locker room and there could be a man standing there with full tackle and um, if you go and complain at the front desk uh, chances are you're going to lose privileges at, at the gym and not that person. Do you realize this? And many don't, you know, yeah. so it's just, you're going to find different ways to be able to, um, uh, to be able to talk about it. Um, yeah. I do, I do want to say we're, we were going to go till, till uh, four thirty Eastern standard. So we got about 20 more minutes. We wanted to open it up. Uh, the room for questions. We can keep going afterwards. Um, we'll open up another room for people who want to discuss uh, mm -hmm. what we've been talking about if they don't want to be recorded because we are recorded. I also want to give a cup, uh, give a plug um, to for Linda Blade's book, Unsporting, um, which you can find at unsporting.com. And I guess I should put that up in the nest as well. Um, it's a book about how uh, transgenderism is destroying sport and uh, for women. And uh, it's co-written with uh, Barbara Kay, who's been a wonderful advocate for women. She's one of the longest running uh, journalists in Canada who's been speaking out about this. Uh, Linda and Barbara are a formidable duo. They wrote the, this great book and anybody who's interested in women's sport, you should pick that up because it's, it's great. Um, and, um, and Linda's going to be on, uh, uh, the Richard Sirrett show live on radio, uh, at 448 Eastern standard time. So it's coming up in 40 minutes. So I know Linda, you probably have to go and start actually, getting ready for that. Sorry. He's actually asked to, to do it longer. So I have to be there by like 438 or four. Oh, you're doing the full two segments. I'm doing okay, it. good. Yeah. Fantastic. So at 438. <laughs> Um, we, you'll be going on radio. Well, and I have to get out of here by 4.30 to just to review sure. a couple things. To get yeah. ready. Yeah, 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 totally understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I should note that uh, for anybody who's interested, uh, Cosbar, and this, is, this was a big get for us, for our communications team, is that we have a regular slot talking to Richard Sirrett at Saga 960am. Uh, dot ca uh, every Thursday at either 4:38 or 4:48, a Cosbar Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights spokeswoman talks to Richard about the most about the recent you know whatever's going on in the world in terms of gender identity ideology in the news. So that's really great. That's getting the word out. Um, yeah, we just can't stress enough. Like, have these conversations. Let's normalize talking about this. Don't be intimidated, but do be careful because <clears throat> you want to be speaking with trusted people somebody who's not going to try to destroy you and, uh, you know, report you to, uh, to your, um, your employer or whatever. Um, we find that um, if you're self-employed, 
that's awesome. Nobody can cancel you. Um, if you're retired, nobody can cancel you. Um, these are these are good places to be, and we do rely on people doing that. So, um, and we really appreciate everybody in their efforts to to just let's talk about this. Yeah. Um, should we open it up? No. Yeah. So we have we already have one. Uh, Doug has been waiting patiently, uh, and let's get a few more people up. Please request a mic if you want to ask a question of either of our special guests, or Amy, or myself, or you just have a comment. Let's. Um, I'm going to approve Doug there, and let's um, let's get this going. Doug, welcome. Hi, hi. I, I was just going to ask. Um, Earlier on, uh, I think there was someone debating about, you know, how women feel and and I think it was in prison. Um, so is there a lot of women that want to go to a man's prison? I'm just asking. I, I wasn't sure. It seems violent and scary, but I mean, I, I don't hear a lot of female men. Well, see, I, I'm, I'm learning. So that's that's my question. Is there a lot of female? Go ahead. Heather can answer the answer your question for sure. Heather, go ahead. So we have 12 trans men in women's prisons. So that is females who identify as men. Uh, there are no trans men in men's prisons. There have been two or three requests. Only one was formal. The rest were informal. And um, corrections cited overriding health and safety concerns. So they would be raped in a men's prison. Go figure. Um or they would be put in, so we're not allowed or supposed to say segregation because correction says it's gone, but it's not gone. They've just made structured intervention units, which is a new name. They've just rebranded segregation. Um, so they would be put in segregation in a men's prison. So what you're saying is hearts and minds really haven't caught up to reality. Yeah, it's a one-sided policy. It only benefits males who still have their penis because males who don't have their penis have been incarcerated with us since at least 1982. Thank you very much. And and to be clear, Heather, when she's talking about corrections, she means um, can is it Correction Services Canada. So this is about Canadian prisons. Yes, Correctional Service of Canada, CSC. And if you're in America, Doug, there are several states that are following this same sort of thing. I know California. Heather, um, you're in touch internationally with women who are uh, advocating for women on the inside. Do you want to um, give us a little rundown on that? Yeah, and a shout out to Amy because she's in this chat. Maybe she'll take a mic. She's in California. Oh, but, yeah, um, Amy. Come on up. Request a mic if you'd like, if you can speak. Yeah, so we just launched an organization. Um, it's an international network for incarcerated girls and women. We have contacts in different countries like Australia, UK, United States, Canada, trying to make a prison hub um, where we can just start lobbying the government and helping women. So doing a lot on the prison front. But I see Amy took a mic, so I'll pass it over. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Heather. Uh, it's true. Um, it's, it's, it's bad. It's, um, it's bad that, uh, the support of the international group has been outstanding. Uh, the support from Heather and Casbar has been, um, unlike anything we've been able to find here in the States. Uh, the, um, other groups, the other organizations are very much 
caught up in the entire uh, ideology. A lot of their funding, I think, is directly related to um, that's their, their source of funding. So they're very much um, promoting it, if anything. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really sad. The organizations that formerly were for uh, incarcerated women um, prioritize trans rights and privilege overall. So it's, um, it's disheartening, but knowing that we have the support from uh, this international group, from the connections we were able to make, make uh, really tr- uh, take precedence over the negative stuff. So um, thank you very much to Heather. She's, she's uh, been very liberating and inspiring. And I, I just, I can't believe she's able to do so much just as one person. So thanks. Thanks for letting me say something. I appreciate all of you. Amy, I, I don't know a whole lot about you. I'm wondering if you are open to it, sharing kind of how you got involved. Sure, sure. I uh, I actually was incarcerated in um, CCWF, this Central California Women's Facility, which is the largest women's prison in the world. And uh, the whole time I was there, it, w- it was very surreal because our um, I don't think anyone is really aware of how corrupt the American prison system is. The Department of Corrections is is the biggest like organized crime family in the state of California. It's 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 crazy how much money laundering and circular spending goes on uh, there. It's it, every time I I think that I've reached the end of a rabbit hole, it, there's a whole new tunnel to go and in, into, and it's um, overwhelming sometimes. Uh, once I was paroled. Um, I realized that there was a very big lack of uh, resources for women that were coming directly out of prison. Um, there, there, there are things available, but no one is uh, making it apparent. There's no resource hub. There's no. Uh, there's very big gap between when you hit the gate and when you're trying to start your new life. So, I started Woman to Woman. Uh, in the beginning, as a resource hub, as somebody like the concierge of you know, formerly incarcerated women. And uh, simultaneously, SB 132, which is the Transgender Respect Agency and Dignity Act, written by Senator Scott Weiner and friends, uh, came into play. And as soon as implementation started, I got hundreds of messages from, you know, distressed friends, women I don't even know, in a lot of cases. Uh, And the stories were unbelievable. if I wasn't getting them firsthand, I, I probably would be like many people and not believe them. But they came in such a huge volume that I couldn't ignore it. And I just prioritized that over everything. Um, and it, it just, I consider it a, a, a crisis. It's a crisis. You know, it's, it's a state of emergency. So that's really my main thing right now is doing whatever I can to uh, make sure there's at least that the, 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 there's no people with penises in the women's facilities. That's the least we can do. Yeah. So it's the, I'm sure it's the same kind of stories that Heather gets about sexual assaults and pregnancies. Yeah. And, and the, the coercion from the, the correctional officers and the, the pressure from the other alleged, you know, support groups, um, there have been they've there have been groups that have told the women not to say anything, 
to not complain, to not make a big deal out of stuff. Um, it, it just, it, it's like heartbreaking. Um, but it also motivates me because I, I, I know how important it is for me to um, keep in the fight because otherwise I, I don't know who's going to lift their voices up or even give them a platform or an opportunity to get any of this stuff heard. Yeah. It's amazing work that you're doing and that Heather's doing. I'm, I'm just in awe of, you know, after everything, like having all of your freedoms taken away and to come out of that and still have the balls or the ovaries to go and stand up and get into this fight is it, it just blows my mind every day. Yeah, it's nuts. It really is. It's absolutely nuts to think about things like that. It's just crazy. Uh, tough fight. I just want to, uh, sorry uh, to uh, break in there, Doug. I just wanted to say that, Amy, I've put your pinned tweet up in the nest so that people can read that. It's a Wall Street Journal um, article by Abigail Schreier about what's going on in California, but they can then uh, follow you there. And um, and also, Linda, I did put up, you suggested that people follow Mara Yamauchi to uh, find out uh, all of the other athletes who are speaking up on yes. behalf of women. So I put mm -hmm. that up in the nest. Um, Thank you. I should probably also put up something for your book. Um, if you have, do you have a tweet that I can put up or I can make a tweet about unsporting.com? Uh, yeah, you better make a tweet about it. I don't know. I've lost track okay. of what I did there. Sure, sure, sure. I'll do that. Sorry. Sorry, Should go ahead, on Doug. my pin, like on my, is oh. it not on my actual profile? I, I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pinned okay. to my profile. Okay, cool, cool. I'll, I will, uh, I will do that. Um, and Doug, sorry, go ahead. I interrupted. No, I appreciate that. No, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, you know, I was, I, I was listening to you guys. I mean, this, this is the forefront of like, you know, the penal uh, correctional system. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of questions and it's very important. I mean, as we, uh, you know, breach that gap, um, you know, where it comes to uh, men, women, are they men or are they women? You know, how, how do we house them? How do we uh, deal with it? So, you know, this is very good, good stuff. Uh, and you got a lot of good people in here. I'm going to have to follow a couple of you. Okay. Thank you. Thank yes, you. please I, do. I yeah. would just say to your <laughs> question: Are they men? Are they women? They're oh, they're men. They're always men. <laughs> I just have to say that. I second that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we don't we we. This is the space of biological reality here, and um, there's uh, the you know the the trans rights activists like to somehow obfuscate and say that there's some kind of you know science that proves there's lady brains and and man brain that's just not it we all have a sex which is um 99 point whatever of us um are you know have a uh, uh sex that is not affected by any kind of what's called a disorder of sexual development or a uh what else they call it variation of sex, sexual they call it yeah. intersex too yeah intersex um uh which is like a, it's a chromosomal uh disorder but but as those in the intersex or dsd or vsd community like to say um everybody who has a variation of sexual development they are either male or female they just yeah. have 
sort of like some anomaly chromosomal anomalies there is no there is no spectrum of sex there is no um you know there's no third sex there's no changing of sex we all have a sex which which is which is determined at conception it affects every cell in our bodies and we we all have a sex and then we have a personality and we have preferences and sometimes our preferences kind of align with what's socially acceptable for males or females so everybody's non-binary in, in a sense like the, nobody is like fully feminine or fully masculine like every everybody has <laughs> mm-hmm. you know something that that's not traditionally male or female right so can i say something here go ahead when canadian bill c16 came into play in around 2017 and it this was the bill about <clears throat> you have to use the pronouns uh, by law. You have to, you know, you, and you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity or gender expression. And in the parliament, when they debated this, I mean, this was a law that has definitely affected sports and prisons and everything else. And, but when they debated it, everybody knew the way they explained it in parliament, you go back to the records they literally were saying, yes, there are two sexes, biological sexes, male, female, but you can identify in other ways or opposite or whatever. So when they introduced a law, it was like, yeah, well, we'll always acknowledge biological sex, but then there's other kinds of identities. And now, like, it's just like the way it's getting, getting interpreted by sport leadership and, and prison leadership is like, no, 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 biological sex isn't a thing anymore kind of thing, you know? And so... I think it's um, it's the way it, the narrative drifts from when that first was introduced, it was a distinct thing. And now it's like they're using it to act like biological sex doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. It's very confusing. And I, I, Helen Joyce kind of detailed in her book the way that a lot of these bills are passed. It's behind the scenes by people who don't want the public to know what they're doing because they, they have other motivations. And I I think just the fact that I don't, I don't think that gender identity should be a protected characteristic in the sense that I think biological sex discrimination, like if you're not allowed to be discriminated against on the basis of your biological sex, that would cover not being discriminated against because you are gender nonconforming or you feel that your gender is different than your sex, that would still be discrimination based on your sex. So adding gender identity ideology to me is an underhanded way you're of you're just getting self ID um, slipped through without people realizing what's happening. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that. Um, I, it looks like Neil has wanted to say something for quite some time. Yeah, go ahead, Neil. Well, oh, thanks, Welcome. Amy. Um, okay, so you wonderful ladies have a lot more experience with this, but in the prison conversation, when I've tried to talk to people in my life about this, the thing that astounds me that I'm sure you've encountered is when you, you know, when you're trying to have a reasonable conversation with people about the idea of males in females prisons, the like Heather, I I imagine you've heard every argument in the world about this, and some of the stuff that people come back with, like I just, I just don't know how to respond in a rational way because the the kinds of arguments they're making to rationalize this are completely irrational. 
like people that I know in my life that have been friends for decades who I know are very reasonable and compassionate people who, when I explain to them why I'm concerned about males in females prison, their answer is like, well, they're in prison. You know, what do you expect to happen in prison? You know, they, they compare it to like, well, in men's prison, some men get raped all the time. So, you know, they're in, they did something to get themselves in prison. So somehow it's, that's a rationalization or a justification that they should be exposed to males in prison. Like, do you have any decent rhetorical arguments to combat that kind of thing? I do hear them all the time. Um, what a lot of people aren't aware of is Canada's uh, correctional system is not built on punishment. We're actually built on rehabilitation. So the punishment is the sentence. You do not go to prison to be punished. Um, so people are very confused about that aspect. Um, so no, just because we committed a crime doesn't mean that we are being imprisoned with the uh, extensive risk of rape. That's just insane. Um, but people do use that excuse all the time. And people also use the reasoning of how men's prisons are just too dangerous for trans women, so they have to go to women's prisons, but there's no difference between men and women. But it's like, well... If women's prisons were just as violent as men's prisons, then why would you want to be in women's prisons? Like, I, I get it. Nobody has a solid argument. It's just all irrational. Um, but also um, something that's interesting is they're not even thinking about the other trans women. So there are trans women who live as women. Um, obviously, they haven't had surgery. They would be in a women's prison. But they live as trans women in the men's prisons and they do not want to transfer. So they want to stay in the men's prisons. So nothing has been done to make it safer for them. Nothing's been done to address their needs or any of that type of um, concerns there. And also like gay men are at just as much risk in men's prisons and we're not transferring them into women's prisons and we're leaving them there as well. So the issue is people are ignoring the issue, which is male violence, right? And what everyone's doing now is we'll just put them in with women, which is increasing the risk of male violence for men's prisons onto women. And we actually have our children incarcerated with us in women's prisons too, which most people don't know. And we're not addressing the male violence in the men's prisons. So we're not solving anything. And we're actually opening the door for more male violence against different groups especially Indigenous women. They make up 50% of our female prison population. So they're disproportionately impacted by this policy. And they're also overrepresented in maximum security. And these transfers from the male prisons are disproportionately maximum security transfers. So, And the state has a duty of care. You have people in, in your care incarcerated that cannot escape. There shouldn't be any rapes going on anywhere in men's or women's prisons, and certainly not women. You are trapping women, and, and anybody who is honest with themselves knows that men can easily overpower women. It doesn't matter whether that man is on uh, um, estrogen or whether even w whether that man has had his genitals removed because we do have stats that say that even a man who's had um, what's um, uh, colloquially uh, and euphemistically termed bottom surgery where his penis is inverted and it made a cavity um, those men if they if they had a propensity to be violent that doesn't change that that propensity and we do know there is something 
known as male pattern violence. It's very well documented and um, not all men, but the most sexual violence is perpetrated by males on females. So, I mean, it's all the data is there, right? And the state, as I said, does have a duty of care. Those women, they're, they, they, they're, they're locked in, in, right? And so why should they have to <laughs> contend with sexual assault while they're just trying to pay their debt to society? Yeah, I think it's so such a stunning hypocrisy of the hard left or woke people who claim to care so much about indigenous lives and they make their nice little land acknowledgements before they say anything and yet they absolutely do not give a single shit about incarcerated indigenous women in Canada and if they did they would call out men in women's prisons they don't care for them it's all just virtue signaling it's empty they are bad people as far as I'm concerned um, I think Amy had her hand up again. Yeah, I was just going to uh, totally agree with everything Heather said, that her account of what's going on is so accurate of what's happening in the California state prisons as well. Um, every aspect of anyone in the men's facility that's using gender self-ID is prioritized over anything related to women at all. Anything. Um, their their health care, their mental health, uh, it, it's amazing. Uh, I was just telling somebody uh, I did time with who was, you know, not up to speed on what's going on, that anybody who transfers in on SB 132 can get a bed move for any reason related to their perception of mental health or their their own perception of their well-being. And she started to cry because uh, for us getting a bed move, you you have to have like a uh, I don't know, a handwritten note from God basically to get out of uh, the room that you're in. I was in a room for six months getting beat before I could get a bed move. Um, it, it, but these individuals can go at any given time and say, I don't want to be in this room. As a matter of fact, I want to be in the one across the hall and I don't want anybody else in there. And I want that one as my bunkie. Um, it's created the mo biggest privilege group uh, with privileges that no one in the Department of Corrections has ever had access to that's and disgusting seems, right and it seems so um logical to um you know the far left pushers of this agenda that, that you know they, they're acting as if these rights were robbed from this community hmm. but they weren't no one's ever had them so it, it, wow. it's, it's a horrible it's, game it's that is surreal linda you're getting ready to leave um, thank you so much, Linda. We're going to wrap up soon, but I know you have to run, but I really yep. want to thank you for joining us okay. today. Awesome. Okay. And have, have a great interview. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like um, that's it for today, and it's been great. I think um, our, our little experiment of recording, uh, and hopefully we'll get this up as an episode on the podcast. I think there's been a lot of great sharing of information, and um, I'm, I'm just so happy uh, that I'm working alongside Amy and Heather and Linda and now Senna. Senna's come into the fold as well. Uh, and um, I also want to, uh, to just shout out to everybody who is working. I see here's Amy, there's Amy Souza. Hi, Amy. And um, who else do I see in here? 
Seaside, uh, Mrs. DB, Dr. B was in here. I think she's gone. Tanya. Uh, these are women who are working with us behind the scenes and, uh, that's how we have to do it. Sometimes we have to work in the shadows, but we are building the grassroots movement and um, and we're appreciating everybody's contribution in whatever way that they can. And uh, I'll give another plug for Canadian women's sex-based rights. I put up our latest video, um, which shows the seven issues that um, affect uh, women, the seven issues in it, with uh, confusing gender identity with sex. And so that's something that you can um, take a look at and share with other people and get a, uh, a, a an idea of the broader issues uh, involved. And um, yeah, so anyway, uh, Amy, any yeah. other final words? Uh, no final thoughts aside from thank you um, to Heather for everything as always. And thanks everyone for listening. I had fun. This was my first Twitter space, so I, I would like to do more. Let's do more. I'm glad that uh, we popped your cherry today, Amy. Yes, I love <laughs> my virginity. <laughs> and Amy, Amy Ichikawa, thank you so much. And thanks for everything you're doing for women and children. You're very welcome. <laughs> All right. Have a great one. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Ham and Esme V. Intro music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your peak trans stories, how gender identity ideology has impacted your life, or just say hi and let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Write to us at gendercriticalstoryhour at gmail.com. Tweet to us at gcstoryhour. Take care. Keep strong and keep talking. Bye for now. Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by the mythical biological female. I'm your mother.